We have two passages this morning. One is not listed in your bulletin, but I wanted to have an Old Testament passage to go with our sermon this morning. And since our sermon passage this morning in John chapter 15 quotes from Psalm 69 as a prophetic fulfillment, we're going to read Psalm 69. It's going to be found in your pew Bibles on page 904 as our Old Testament passage this morning. Well, Psalm 69 It's a messianic psalm. This is what the psalmist proclaims. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail, looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You know my folly, O God. My guilt is not hidden from you. May those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. O Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my own mother's sons. For zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor. In your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, out of the goodness of your love and your great mercy turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents, for they persecute those you wound. And talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hoofs. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell there. Psalm 69. And our passage this morning is John chapter 15, verses 18 through 25. can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,677. So this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what was written in their law. They hated me without reason. That's the reading of God's word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, enlighten your word to us this morning. Help us, Lord, to learn from it, to grow from it, to be encouraged by it, to be strengthened by it. May you bring your grace to us through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Back in the day, I used to listen to this band. This band was called the Plain White Tees. You might have heard of like one of their songs, and it's called Hey There, Delilah. It was like their big hit. All of you older people are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Sorry. Um, They had this song, though, the Plain White Tees. And the chorus went like this. Hate is a strong word. But I really, really, really don't like you. And I wanted to bring that up because up to this point in the the farewell discourse in John's gospel, as Jesus pulls his disciples along alone to tell them the last thing that he wants to tell them before he goes to the cross, there has been an emphasis upon one particular characteristic, and that is of love. The love Christ has for his disciples. The love he has given to them. The love he has poured out on them. Ever since he washed their feet, he has been talking about his love for them and how they are called to love one another with the same love. And how he says, you're my friends. And then right here in this farewell discourse, it takes a sharp turn. Love, hate. And hate is a strong word, isn't it? We've been trying to teach my four-year-old daughter that she shouldn't use the word hate. I hate you. I hate this. I hate. Because it elicits a type of response. It elicits strong feelings, strong language. Yet here, as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he uses this word, hate. If the world hates you, the world has hated me and my Father. And what I hope to do is to show you that the kind of language that Jesus is using here is appropriate to understanding our place in this world now that we've been captured out of it by Jesus Christ's grace poured out on us in the cross. 
So our theme this morning is the world hates us because we are being conformed to the image of Christ. The world hates us because we as Christians, by sanctification happening in our lives where the Holy Spirit are beginning to look more and more, beginning to act more and more like Jesus. And I want to look at this passage basically in two parts. The first, pass, the first part of the passage, verses 18 through 21, is Jesus talking to his disciples about who they are. And who they are determines why the world treats them the way the world treats them. So the first part of the passage, I want to talk about how we're not of this world. We're not of this world. And then the second part of the passage, Jesus goes into more detail describing the characteristics of those who are of this world. So in verses 22 through 25 are describing those who are of this world. So let's look first at that first part of the passage, describing us, describing believers who are not of this world. On verse 18, Jesus says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. When somebody says, keep in mind something, it is to be of importance to us. It is to be a reminder. And the reminder here that Jesus has given his disciples is that, is that hatred from the world is to be expected. Is to be expected. There's a sense of realism that Christ is communicating here to his disciples. And the realism is found in this. He is saying, you're my disciples. You're the ones who are called to live like me, to follow after me, to obey my commandments. The world has hated me. I'm your rabbi. I'm your teacher. So, keep in mind, if the world hates you, it hated me first. There's an order of priority here that we as Christians are not hated in disconnection with anything else in this world. We're not hated for no reason. We're hated because we are associated with Jesus. Because we are associated with Christ. So keep in mind that the world hates you, Christians, little Christs, that it hated Jesus first. It hated our Savior first. And when we're talking about the world in this passage, we're thinking of the world under the power and dominion of sin as John uses it in the gospel. In verse 19, though, we're given an extra reason why we're not of this world, why we have the world's hatred. Jesus says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You don't belong. You've been chosen out of the world in the world's ways. Verse 19 says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but you don't. And here we can think of the ways in which the world embraces its own. 
the way the world wants to welcome its own. I'm sure many of you didn't spend any of your time, I hope not, or wasted any of your time watching the Golden Globes recently. But there was an actress who received an award, and she got up there and she decided that she was going to announce to the world the reason that she was able to chase her dreams and pursue her acting career. And this actress is seven months pregnant, holding this golden idol in her hand. And she said, I was able to be up here because I had an abortion. And the sad thing was, everybody there at the Golden Globes, the Hollywood elites, If you want an example of the world embracing their own, it is that. It is the logical inconsistency with a pregnant woman speaking about murdering one of her previous children. And saying that's the reason she could chase her dreams. That's the reason she could pursue what she wanted to pursue. And the audience clapping, cheering her on for her bravery. That's the world embracing their own. Christians, we don't get that. We don't get embraced by the world because we do not belong to the world. Christ has plucked us out of its ways. It is a river flowing towards death and destruction that loves sin. And we have been ripped out of it. We have been pointed in another direction. We are now opposing the flow of things the way things naturally go according to sin. We are now opposing it. We are against it. And because of that, we stick out like a sore thumb. We draw attention to the sin that people have in their hearts. The sin that they love. And we make them realize, even if for a split second, that it's wrong. It's wrong the rest of the way the world operates. And because we have Christ, and because we've been chosen by Christ, we don't go that way. Yes, maybe we stumble, maybe we fall, we we repent, and we turn away from that way. We are not embraced by the world because we don't belong to it. We've been chosen out of it. Verse 20, Jesus continues, Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. He's quoting himself from John chapter 13 when Jesus said about washing his disciples' feet, used this as a representation or example, a teaching lesson. He said, I got down on my knees, me, your rabbi, me, your teacher, and I served you. I became the servant of all. Therefore, no, no student is greater than his teacher. Therefore, no servant is greater than his master. So if me, the master, served you, then all of you should be expected to serve one another. But now Jesus takes this lesson and he applies it to the reality of persecution, of the hatred of the world. 
And he says, if no student is greater than his teacher, if no servant is greater than his master, if they have hated me, they're going to hate you. If they have hated me, they're going to hate you. And that's what he says. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. A passage like this, in the context that we have, can be sometimes difficult to grasp, to hold on to. It's providential that the Detmans are here because they may have a little bit more of a grasp of what it means to be persecuted for your faith. A few years back, there was a big uproar because Starbucks put happy holidays on their drinks instead of Merry Christmas. That's not persecution. And we may be getting a little bit closer to persecution when we consider the legal backlash that a cake baker gets when they refuse to bake a cake for a gay wedding. But the kind of persecution that Jesus is promising his disciples is the persecution that ends up in every single one of the disciples being martyred for their faith except for John. The kind of persecution that Jesus is speaking of is the fact that they hated him so much that they killed him. The kind of persecution that we're speaking about is the kind of persecution that the early church experienced at the hands of Saul of Tarsus, with Stephen who was stoned to death, and Peter and John who were imprisoned and beaten for preaching in the name of Jesus. The kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here is the kind of persecution that the church in China is going under. One pastor of a church in China who now is being sentenced to years in prison. Because he proclaimed what the Bible taught about who we should honor above earthly governments. The king of kings and the lord of lords. He's being charged with insubordination and placed in prison. And the reality here is here in America we, we have the wonderful and beautiful privilege of the freedom of worship. But we should not be offended if one day that is stripped from us because the way of the church has always been, has always been under the thumb of the world. Persecution. Persecution is the church's number one growth plan. Christ said they persecuted me. They will persecute you. But he also gives a promise. Not everyone persecutes. Not everyone persecuted Jesus. Not everyone persecuted the disciples. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Some believed. Some obeyed. That was true for Christ and his mission, and his ministry. And it is true for us as well as we go out into the world 
to proclaim the good news of Christ, even experiencing the hatred of the world and the world's ways of sin and death. There are those whom Christ has died for. There are those whom are awaiting the preaching of the gospel and the redemption, the salvation that is theirs in Jesus Christ. And Christ says then in verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, because of who I am, because they do not know the one who sent me. Here he begins to express the connection between him and God, him and the Father. Because, as we know, Jesus came to the Jewish people, those who had the word of God, those who believed in Yahweh, the God of Israel. And Jesus came to reveal that God, to display who that God was, and to show the way of salvation in him. And what did they do? They rejected him. They spurned him. They spat upon him. They turned away from him. They hated him. And what Jesus is saying is that revealed that they did not truly know the God of Israel as they said they know, as they said they knew. They did not truly believe in Yahweh like they said they did. Because if they did, they would have seen Christ for who he was and known that he is the image of the invisible God, the perfect revelation of God the Father. We're not of this world. But what about those who are of this world? Let's talk about that. Verse 22, Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He's talking about those who are of the world, those who are following after the pattern of this world. He says, I have come to my people, Israel, and I have taught them. I have given them the word. And when he says here that they would not be guilty of sin, he's not saying until I came, nobody was guilty of sin. And then when I came, there was people who were guilty of sin just because of my coming. What he's saying is that as the revelation of redemptive history moves forward, and as Christ comes in the perfect time to be under the law and to live and die for us and be resurrected, that there is a heightening of responsibility. There is a heightening of a condemnation one receives. In John chapter 3, Jesus speaks of this. He says, They are condemned already, for they do not believe. And when Christ comes to proclaim the word, to reveal the word... Before, they were not guilty of rejecting the incarnate Son of God. And now they are guilty of rejecting the teaching of the incarnate Son of God. And there's no excuse for their rejection. Paul speaks of this in Romans chapter 1. 
those who are of the world, not only Jesus, not only his people, the Jews, is their condemnation heightened by him coming in to live among them and to preach to them. But now, in our country, in our society, in our nation, where Bibles are freely printed and freely given, where there is a cultural understanding, as there was in the past, and we're losing it now, but a light that is out there of Christ and what he's done, there is a heightening of responsibility and condemnation for those who know the word of Jesus, yet reject it. The truth is that it's the same for our children. The ones we raise in the faith, the ones we baptize according to the promises of God. There's no excuse for their rejection. Verse 23, it says, if I had not come and spoken to them, oh, excuse me, verse 23, he who hates me hates my father as well. There is describing the connection, association between Christ and the father. If you hate Jesus, you are hating God. If you hate Jesus, you are hating the father. Verse 24, if I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these miracles and yet they've hated both me and my father. So before he said, I've brought the word. Now he says, I've brought the works or I've brought the signs. Christ's entrance into history to go amongst his people preaching and healing and doing and performing miracles was a heightening of their condemnation and judgment because there is no excuse for their rejection. Christ has come and made that light bright. The revelation is before them. The revelation is given to them. They have seen it. They have heard it, yet they have rejected it. Those who are of this world The fact of the matter is that the world hates us because it does not want to come into the light. It wants to remain in the darkness. There is hatred of Christ because there is love of sin. There is hatred of Christians because there is love of sin. And as dark and dreary and uh, seemingly pessimistic as this passage seems to be, Christ, I believe, ends on a positive note. It may not come across as positive when we first read it. But in verse 25, Jesus says this, This is to fulfill what is written in their law. And he quotes from Psalm 69, verse 4. They hated me without reason. Maybe you're saying, Carrie, how is that ending on a positive note? How is that ending on an optimistic note? This is what I want us to realize what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. He's 
preparing them for what they're going to face. He is saying to them, listen, you're going to be hated. I was hated. You're going to be persecuted. I was persecuted. These people are going to hate you because they hate me and they hate the Father who sent me. These people are going to hate you because they love their sin. You are going to be whipped, thrown in prison, martyred even for this faith. But what I want you to know, what I want you to remember is that although the world thinks they're stomping out an annoying little sect of believers who want to bring the light and shed light upon the darkness in this world, and although they think they're serving God by kicking you out of the synagogue and by kicking you out of fellowship with them, although there's going to be a time that's going to come when people are going to think they're serving God by killing you, And for all intents and purposes, it looks like you're being defeated. You're being crushed. You're being squashed. You're being snuffed out. This is what I want you to know, guys. This is what I want you to know, my disciples. That as they pursue their hatred of you without cause, they, in fact, are not revealing that you are doomed, but in fact revealing that the plan of redemption that my Father has set aside to accomplish cannot be defeated, cannot be squashed, cannot be snuffed out. Because as they hate you without reason, as they come and they grab you and they throw you in prison, as they come and they persecute you, they are doing exactly what their word says they will do. They're doing exactly according to prophecy. They're fulfilling their role in the plan of redemption. They think they're beating you. All they're doing is revealing that I am sovereign. And I think that that's pretty optimistic. I think that's ending on a positive note. I told you that hate is a strong word. It is. But what I want us to grasp today is that the world hates us because we are being conformed to the image of Christ. And so the comfort that we should have as Christ's people is not actually found in the absence of the world's hatred. Because the presence of the world's hatred means that God is doing a work in us. That God is changing us, transforming us to be more like Jesus, our Savior. When the world expresses its hatred to us as Christians, 
It may be helpful for us to think of the words of the Heidelberg Catechism that says, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word promises that we will face opposition in this world because this world loves sin. And by Jesus Christ, your son, you've redeemed us from sin. You've plucked us out of the world and its ways to live according to the spirit and not according to the flesh to express the fruits of the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. Lord, we know that when we do this, when we are conformed to the image of Christ, which is what you have chosen us before the foundation of the world to be, we may find that the world's hatred of us The opposition that we have grows. But we're so thankful that you've given us the promise. Not a hair can fall from our head without the sovereign will of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that we can know and find comfort in the fact that our dear Savior, our dear Lord, was hated and persecuted as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.